musical, so unpredictable here on the SNL Network. Yes, that is right. The Saturday Night Network is live to recap episodes one and two of Bupkis, the new show on Peacock, all about Pete Davidson, former SNL cast member, and great one that is. So I'm so excited to get to talk about this show today, and we have a lot to unpack. It just premiered, and I got to watch episodes one and two, and I'm very excited to talk about it with my man, Sammy K. Sammy, how are you doing? John, I'm doing well. I feel like me and you have been talking about this for a while. You know, obviously, you know, this show was announced like maybe a year ago or so. And we always knew that when Pete Davidson left Saturday Night Live, that he would be doing something like this. And I'm excited that, you know, during this, I'm not excited for this drought that we have of SNL, but at least the, the timing worked out to where we have something SNL related to talk about while the strike is just starting with the writers. Yeah, no drought. A lot of wetness happening on the show. So we'll just get like the opening it. scene of uh, Bupkis. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I heard there might be a big wet appearance somewhere down the road, but we will get there. Oh, All right. So uh, welcome on in, everybody. We have a few items of business to get through first. So first of all, previously announced our friend Amanda, who joined us on the Dave Cyrus interview last night. She's not with us now, but she'll be with us for the other recaps later on this week. So it'll be Sammy and I taking you through episodes one and two. Also, if you missed that Dave Cyrus interview, what are you doing? Go back and listen to that because it was so great. Sammy, Amanda, and I got to talk to Dave Cyrus, who is the co-creator and former writer at Saturday Live, but the co-creator of Bupkis. And he got to talk all about what it's like to work with Pete Davidson, how they casted the show, so many fun behind-the-scenes stories. So if you are loving Bupkis, you're really going to love that interview. We also got into a bunch of SNL stuff as well. So Sammy, that was really fun. Yeah, no, it was it was really cool to get to talk to him. And like you said, like former writer of Saturday Night Live. And, you know, clearly this is, you know, a Pete Davidson show, but he has had, you know, so much influence on and he kind of talks about in the interview about, you know, a lot of him, him his own experience and kind of uh, personality kind of bleeds into the writing. So I'm excited to see that as the the show progresses. Absolutely. All right. Well, we are going to talk about episodes one and two. So make sure that you go and watch them because this will be full of spoilers about them. Sammy and I have not watched anything past episodes one and two so far. So we don't know anything. We're not going to spoil you on the further ones. So once you're done episode two, you come back and you join us for that. On Saturday, two days from now, we're going to be back to talk about episodes three and four, Monday night, five and six. Wednesday night, seven and eight. So two episodes every two days are really easy to follow. And then by this time next week, you'll get all of our recaps for Bupkis. So before we get into the recaps about Bupkis, we had some big news in the SNL universe today that I want to talk to Sammy about. First of all, we found out this was not directly from NBC. So just want to make that clear. But this was reported from a lot of the news publications that are on the press list, just like us for SNL. And they announced today that right after the Pete Davidson and Lil Uzi Vert episode, we were going to get Kieran Culkin returning to Saturday Night Live with musical guest Labyrinth. And then the finale, the week after that, would have been Jennifer Coolidge with musical guest Foo Fighters. So those apparently are the episodes we would have gotten had there been no writer strike. I, as of this moment, my understanding is if the writer strike was to end by the end of the weekend, they could still happen. But I think it's highly unlikely. So we could talk hypotheticals at this point. Sammy, what were your thoughts when you saw those announcements? Well, John, I love your optimism, but based on what I'm reading, I don't think the strike is going to end anytime soon, let alone, let alone in time for us to get a couple SNL episodes as much as I would like that. But no, when I saw this, um, you know, I was, I don't know if excited is the right word, but like, you know, just the idea that SNL wanted to bring Kieran Culkin back so soon was exciting to me as a fan of Succession and as somebody who was a fan of his hosting job last season like that would have been exciting i know some of our friends when we talked about it were like you know oh i wish you know they could have you know grabbed someone else from succession now that the show is ending you know to see them host which is true but you know a show like succession for someone like kieran culkin only comes around like 
you know, it's like a, it's like a career defining show. So, you know, who knows if he's going to have something like this to kind of promote in, in the future. So it, it would have been nice to see him back. Um, and also musical guest labyrinth They're the, he's the person that does like the euphoria music, I believe. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, when, when he performed at Coachella, he brought out Zendaya. I wonder if that could have been a possibility, um, you know, because they collaborated on a lot of music together for Euphoria. So that's kind of something that just popped in my head right now. That could have been interesting. Um, and then Jennifer Coolidge, somebody we've been talking about kind of all season and maybe even last season with kind of the White Lotus hype. Um, obviously, uh, you know, a comedy legend going back to the Christopher Guest movies. And that would have been awesome. And especially like the season finale. Like we always talk about people who host premieres and people who host finales. Like it's kind of a big deal if SNL kind of brings you in for that. And especially when you look at the musical guests, it's the Foo Fighters, you know, talk about SNL legends. Um, so that would have been awesome. And that that one, obviously we've seen Kieran Culkin before. So it's like we've, we've gotten that. But Jennifer Coolidge, if that never happens, that'll be pretty disappointing. So I don't know. Hopefully... They get uh, they get a mulligan. So, in nineteen ninety five, June twenty eighth, nineteen ninety five, Jennifer Coolidge auditioned for Saturday Night Live. She auditioned at the same time as Will Ferrell and Sherry O'Terry and Daryl Hammond heading into season twenty one that year. Uh, Adam McKay also, John Glazer auditioned, Chris Kattan. Uh, let's see who else is on this list. I have a full list of people who auditioned that day. Mm-hmm. Anyone else interesting here? But isn't, yeah, isn't Jennifer Steve, is the one. Isn't uh, isn't Steve Carell also in that in that zone of like I heard like I remember there always being like it was either Will Ferrell or Steve Carell for that '95 season. I don't know if that's true or kind of just like you know certainly possible, but not on the sales. yeah not on the list that I'm seeing right okay. now. So okay. I just looking at an audition schedule from 1995. Sure. But yeah, very very cool. Uh, Coolidge to have her come back to the show. I would think if she's willing to host, which was that was a big question mark for a long time, that's going to happen in the fall, or they're going to find a way because White Lotus has been over for a while now. I think, uh, or or perhaps they wait till season three of White Lotus and then they have her back. I know in theory she may or may not be a part of season three, but right. uh, I think we'll, we'll see what happens uh, there. I think that she is probably a, a pretty good lock for 49. I think Pete is as well. Kieran Culkin, I think this was the time with Succession. I doubt they're going to find a way to get him back anytime soon. Yeah. I think that was this is more of a timing thing. Also a little surprised just because I think that he was um, – he was a, a good host and the episode was fantastic. One of the best episodes of season 47. I'm, almost, I'm just a little bit surprised uh, that they chose him from succession or maybe he was the only one that wanted to host and also that he wanted to do it again because I felt like it was uh, he like closed the loop on something last season. But mm-hmm. either way, I think it would have been a very exciting May. And if it ends up happening by some small hope and also that the writers get their due, um, I would be very excited about it. Do you watch succession, John? I do. Um, I if you if so, you had to pick somebody else other than Kieran Culkin, like one person to you know, if there was a su- succession spot, you know, if you had your choice, like who who would you like to see? I'm you know curious. I think Jeremy Strong probably made the most sense to have mm-hmm. him on at this point. Uh, but that would yeah, be crazy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I I guess he maybe he didn't want to do it. Either way, uh, I would have been very thrilled about this May lineup. I think it was very solid for the third year in a row. We would have gotten a first time woman hosting the show for the finale uh that would have been exciting as well so i think there's a lot of things that we can look forward to in 49 we're going to talk a lot more about snl after our bubkiss coverage is wrapped up we're going to do a final roundtable that'll come up in our final by the number show so we'll have plenty of time to talk about this one more snl item on the books for tonight though sammy is that uh if you're not on social media michael che announced on instagram that he is putting on a show this Saturday night, May 6th, 11 p.m. doors, 11.30 p.m. starts. So when SNL would have aired this week with Pete, Michael Che presents NWA, No Writing Allowed. This is his show that he apparently is producing with some friends. So it's Michael Che and friends. Uh, No phones for this one. So I I already know that uh, tickets are on sale right now. I believe, do I know where the venue is? It's at the winery in New York City. So... I think this is going to be crazy and it's going to be not so dissimilar to what we were talking about that happened in 2007 uh, when there was a UCB show. 
it is like an SNL adjacent style episode, the one that nobody will ever see. Luckily for us, we've got some friends of our network who will be there. So we'll be able to talk a little bit about what actually went down at the show after the fact. So stay tuned on the podcast. We'll talk about that next week as well. But Sammy, this is pretty cool. Oh, it's super cool. I mean, yeah, like when you guys talked about the writer's strike um, last week with Bill Kenny. Yeah, I mean, that's something that for years, I, I remember when we first, um, you know, started talking or when I you know, joined the podcast, when we started doing the podcast, I feel like this is like an early conversation that might have come up between the two of us. And you had said at one point, like that you thought you saw it on YouTube back in the day or something. And I've I just been like, I saw it. I, well, you think you saw it. It could just be like, no, but I believe you. And I'm just like, Man, like I would do, I would do some crazy things to be able to watch that because you know, Super Bad is like my favorite movie of all time. Like not just favorite comedy, it's like my favorite movie. Michael Sarah is somebody who has never hosted SNL, and Jonah Hill obviously has a couple times. You know, he's a five a five timer. So I'm really curious to see like how SNL like this show is gonna be. I mean, I I feel. I feel like it could be very similar to the kind of SNL on strike episode. It would be cool to see if they have a host. I don't know if it would be Pete. I mean, but maybe, I don't know. Like, I feel like anything is on the table as long as there's no writing involved. That's the only thing that's not on the table for this episode. So, and, and no phones. But other than that, it sounds like anything and everything is on the table. So I'm curious to see what our friends have to say about it, but I'm, I'm very jealous. If I was in New York, I would, I would make sure I was there. Yeah, we'll get the full report on that. And we'll probably talk about that on Monday night when we're doing episodes five and six of Bug Piss. Uh, that'll be Monday. Yeah. So looking forward to that. Okay, let's turn our attention to the show that we're here to cover tonight, which is, like I said, Bob Kiss, available now on Peacock. This is the first time in a very long time here at the SNN that we're doing something called bonus coverage. Back in the day, we covered Brooklyn Nine-Nine as that show was wrapping up. We had a very fun summer of 2021 talking about that. We also did a little bit of Ted Lasso. So if you do enjoy some bonus coverage every now and then of SNL alumni-related projects, let us know. We'd love to do some more if that works for you but today i'm excited to get into this show because there was so much hype amanda herself talked about attending the new york premiere last week where they showed the first two episodes and to me uh it's been nothing but good things that people have been talking about from this show so sammy what were your initial you know thoughts coming into this based on what you heard uh my my initial thoughts were i I feel like i'm gonna like this show because you know the the thing obviously you know, we've talked a lot about, you know, season 46, like Pete was able to kind of, you know, be a lot more involved in sketches and things like that. But the thing that made Pete really stand out on SNL was him being at the update desk and kind of being able to share things about his life and his perspective. And that is basically what this show is. It's And it's not only the version of Pete that we kind of saw in those initial days of SNL, it's the version of Pete today who has become a, a megastar, who is, you know, it's always in the tabloids, like who who he's seeing and and who he's like you know having feuds with, public feuds feuds with, and um, you know j- just to kind of see that and kind of you know um, in in a sense break the fourth wall or kind of see what it's like to be a celebrity and kind of deal with all that um, was really interesting to me. And then we talk about this with uh, Dave during our interview, but the fact that he got Edie Falco and Joe Pesci to be main characters, not just guest stars on the show, is like super exciting as someone who binged Sopranos during the pandemic and as somebody who loves Goodfellas and and Joe Pesci doesn't work that often. So going into it, I, I was very hyped. And based on these first two episodes, uh, I was not disappointed. Yeah, glad to hear. I wasn't disappointed either, but I did feel like there was a major difference between these two episodes, and we're going to talk about that in just a moment. But like you said, Edie Falco and Joe Pesci are part of the main cast. They are here. So Edie Falco plays Pete's mom, Amy, and then I believe Grandpa Joe is Joe Pesci. Is that what it is? So uh, yeah, they're major parts of this show. And we'll start with episode number one, which is, it's like this... Uh, really raunchy episode, so I'm just going to give a <laughs> content warning that if perhaps you were listening <laughs> to the show in the car with your kids or uh, there's anybody around who you maybe 
don't want to hear us talk about some of this stuff, just a heads up that uh, this is probably um, more raunchy than we would usually talk about here on the SNN. <laughs> but that is that is the breaks. That's what Pete gives us. And yep. we kick things off episode one. So we get to see Pete Davidson. He's sitting on his couch with a virtual reality set on and he's Googling himself and he looks up, you know, things that you would normally see about Pete. And it's sort of what Dave alluded to, which where he said, you know, what do people think about Pete Davidson? That is exactly what you're going to see on this show. So what is the perception of this guy and the characterization? I think that's what they did with everybody here and the first scene really is he's you know using vr and then he decides okay this would be a good time to look at some vr porn and you see him looking it up and um he's ready to pleasure himself and uh, but what we unload yes and uh, what we what we find out is is upstairs uh his mom is doing some laundry and if you've ever used a vr headset before you know you can't really see you can't really hear so it's a very uh intense experience and th- what basically is happening is you know pete gets up he walks over he gets some uh, lubricant to help with his situation and ultimately ends up um in a in a position where he is about to uh, finish the job and at the same time, Pete's mom walks down the stairs and there is a, a, like a traffic altercation happening here where just one one hits another and uh, Pete's mom's shirt is is full of it. So um, <laughs> that was a master class in podcasting without trying to like, you know, hit a sensor on the YouTube algorithm to where we're talking about something. Yeah, I mean, you know, you said VR porn so that, you know, that are, you know makes everything else mute but yeah you you nailed it that is exactly what happens in the opening scene of Bubba. Yeah, people were definitely nailing it yes yes yeah. <laughs> oh, the people on so, the vr and the vr headset were Pete was you know yeah yeah so this is um this is uh, creates a very awkward situation where uh they agree they're not gonna look at each other and talk to each other about this but i don't know about you sammy but i i you know vr was like a really big thing a few years ago i remember i was hosting bar mitzvahs and vr headsets not like the really big like expensive ones but like you know maybe the cheaper models were given out uh-huh. a lot as uh prizes at events and so like this was something that like people would give out on the dance floor like you know these like okay vr was everywhere and um And for me, I've never myself delved into this area of virtual reality. For me, it was more Mm -hmm. like video games and stuff like that at at events, trying this stuff out. But I do know of other people who have done stuff like this. And I would think, Sammy, that um, it is a really interesting experience uh, being there, but also not being there. You know what I mean? Uh, Yeah, I I know what you mean. You kind of are doing the thing that they did in the episode where it's like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm getting this for my grandpa. It's not for me. And, and then the, the hooker on the other end, they're just like, no, okay, you can, you can say if it's about you. So John, you can say, but uh, it's no, not, I mean, <laughs> I, I know, I know. Um, and then this is where I say it's not because I actually do own a VR headset. I got it as a gift like a year ago. And okay. uh, honestly, I've, I've only used it to play a Star Wars game a couple times, which was very fun. But yeah, no, it's an incredibly immersive experience, and I can see how one can get themselves into a predicament such as this. And I will say that the thing that I really liked about this scene um, is the fact that you know this is the, the introduction of the show, and I feel like you know you can't you obviously you see where this is going. You see what the joke is is that there's going to be some sort of altercation here between Pete and his mom, and it's going to be so awkward. And like Pete's talked a lot about. You know, how he like lives with his mom and, and everything like that. And they're roommates, basically. So she probably deals with this kind of stuff all the time. But the way that they kind of chose to play it, where Edie Falco isn't kind of going like all Carmelo, Carmela Soprano and like freaking out at Pete and being like the stereotypical mom. She kind of just is like, all right, I'm going to go and wash the shirt, shirt again and, you know, rerun the laundry. And then, you know, Pete freaks out <laughs> because uh, he sees like a couple minutes later that she still has the shirt on with the stain and she's like, well, I'm about to go work out. I don't want to ruin another shirt. I just thought that was such a smart, uh, like not obvious way to go about it and make it funny. Cause it's way funnier to see her kind of just act like this is like a totally regular occurrence in the um, Davidson household. And for it to kind of just be like, I can't believe you just did this Pete. I told you not to blah, blah, blah. So I, I really like that. Do you, did you kind of have a similar experience watching that scene? 
Yeah, I mean, it definitely shows that it, this relationship is less mother-son and it's more friend-to-friend. And I think that does happen in a lot of households where, like, one of the parents passes away. It ends up being, you know, bonding uh, a mother-son relationship or a father-daughter or whatever it is in a different way because you um, – you know, you feel like you have to rely on each other differently. And I'm sure that's just as much as we see that, you know, Pete's going to need his mom, his mom's going to need him and stuff like that. And that is something that certainly in episode two, it's more heartfelt. Uh, whereas this is more, <laughs> this is more like uh, crazy. Yeah. And uh, I, I don't know, look, I don't know about you, Sammy, but I, I feel that uh, in my personal experience with situations like this, not, not a VR headset situation, but situations where, you know, like I, I like some time to myself. I feel like it is super ballsy to be like, my mom is upstairs. I'm going to just shut <laughs> off the world and take a chance that she's not going to join me downstairs. I, I think that was like an insane decision because there's no locked doors. There's no like, it seems like it's not dark out yet. Like this is, uh, this is full on like, don't give an F. Yeah. And I feel like that's kind of like his brand. Like he kind of like with, on Weekend Update kind of just like, you know, not not pour his heart out, but you know he 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 didn't leave things to the imagination, and I think that's kind of you know the 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 thing about like Pete and his comedy is like he really minds you know his experience and his life, and it would not surprise me if something similar to this happened. Maybe you know not direct contact, but something something like this has maybe happened in his life, um, and he chose to share that with the world for comedy. So we can all appreciate that definitely appreciate that so he decides to leave the house and he just needs to get out of there and he ends up sitting in a car having uh some food with his girlfriend i believe this is his real life girlfriend if i understand that correctly from that detroit true? michigan is what uh which, which is you know where where i'm from so that that's kind of cool yeah and I, they were in a, a horror comedy film together bodies 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 yep. so this is yep. chase we wonders um and yeah, they, I believe they are, uh, they are currently dating. So she plays his girlfriend also in the show and, um, they have some funny jokes about how, um, you know, how his mom saw his, his pleasure face and, <laughs> and how, uh, but it gets a little bit serious about how his girlfriend basically says, you know, Pete, every time things get intense, you run away from people that love you. And they talk about how they have broken up before. Meanwhile, Pete's grandfather keeps trying to call him and ultimately, um, you know, she convinces him to eventually call him back and go see his grandfather, who is played by the great Joe Pesci, who has hosted Saturday Night Live, obviously very well known for many, many things in the past. Uh, for me, it's a home alone, especially. But uh, yes. Joe Pesci, so fantastic to get to see him. And uh, they end up going to a diner together and sitting down and having some talks when we find out that he coughs up some blood and uh, it, he gets nervous because Grandpa Joe might not be around much longer. Yeah, no, that this uh the the coughing up the blood. What uh, this is a tangent, but wasn't there uh an SNL sketch from like the Bill Hader era where like there's a character that like kept coughing up blood and like it was kind of like a runner that like that uh, uh you know, if people know what I'm talking about or if that's real or something else, let us know. But well, I know Sarah Sherman um, just did that in the American Girl doll sketch that we saw during the right, Armistice. Right. Right. I'm thinking yeah. of an older thing, but if I think of it, I'll I'll, I'll share it, but uh no, it's just like uh, so cool to have Joe Pesci on the show. I mean, it's just like very, very underrated. I, I am curious. And if there were any kind of other choices, like Dave kind of told us about, you know, how Lorne kind of had this connection, obviously, you know, since he's like a former host of SNL, but, um, you know, it, it's cool that he's a part of the show. And I just found his like presence and kind of gravitas. He's not like phoning it in or anything like that, which I, you know, I don't know if, Joe Pesci can do that because he doesn't work enough to have the opportunity to phone it in because he can go, you know, years and years without appearing on screen. So the fact that he's a part of the show, he's he's a part of the show. He's a main character. You know, we've only seen the first two episodes, but it seems like he's going to be a pretty big presence throughout the show. And just to kind of see their dynamic and the way that Pete and Joe play off each other is is a lot of fun. Yeah, and I think that it's a reality check for Pete in this scene where he gets to see that his grandfather is going to be dying eventually, and he's already lost a lot of people in his life. Um, to my understanding, we're going to meet Pete's grandmother uh, in episode number two, but in the present time, uh, she's not around anymore, I believe, uh, at least. Yeah, my guess yeah. is she's either passed or they're separated or something. 
Yeah, exactly. So, uh, but you know, he keeps saying Grandpa Joe, you know, Pete, I want to hang out with you. I want to get to know you better. I feel like we haven't had the opportunity to really get to know each other since Pete's become this huge star. So he wants to have a boys night. So Pete ends up going back home to the basement, the, the scene of the crime where he ends up sitting down with some friends and I believe like some, maybe his assistant or whatever. And they decide that, uh, they're going to plan a night for Grandpa Joe where they're going to get Grandpa Joe a prostitute. Because they think that that's, you know, the best part of being boys is, is getting their friends prostitutes. So uh, they FaceTime with a prostitute and they end up, you know, is, is this for Pete? Is this for the grandfather? They talk through this whole thing and ultimately they decide they're going to meet up with the grandfather and they're going to get him a prostitute. So uh, did you think this was a good plan, Sammy? <laughs> uh, you know, for comedy purposes, uh, great plan. I don't think I would ever do this for my grandfather, but um, I don't know. The thing I liked about this scene, and I, I hope in the future episodes, we didn't really see this in episode two, but the kind of dynamic they're establishing between obviously his girlfriend who we saw in a different scene or, you know, ex-girlfriend, I guess, in this show, um, and then like his entourage, I guess. I mean, I know that Dave described the show as kind of like an anti-entourage, so I want, I'm wondering if his assistant and these other characters and or friends of his, you know, have like kind of a bigger prominence in future episodes. I'm sure specifically his kind of dynamic with his assistant to me was very funny because it, it feels like they're basically like the same age. So the idea of like, you know, having someone like Pete Davidson as your boss and having to do these ridiculous things for him, like he said, like there's like a line in the episode, like, you know, my job keeps getting like weirder and weirder, like by the day or something. So um, I found that to be like really great. And I hope we get to see more of that dynamic. I totally agree. I was thinking the same thing. My One of my biggest questions coming out of that episode was assistant Evan. Like, who is this person? Is this person real? And, you know, I would love to ask Dave eventually, like, what is the craziest thing that Pete's ever had Evan or one of his <laughs> assistants do? Uh, because this was this was a pretty nuts task that he gave him to talk to the prostitute and to get the prostitute to come all the way to uh, the dinner where they're going to all hang out together. So basically what happens is Pete's going to pick up Grandpa Joe. And when Grandpa Joe's walking out, he says, Uncle Roy. Roy is coming and I believe this Uncle is Uncle Roy. Yes, yeah, yeah. For all of our SNL fans out there, Uncle Roy is coming. But this I is was not... gonna ask you, John, is that like you think that's gotta be like an intentional Easter egg or something? Okay. Like I don't know. The only way that that would happen is if Jane Curtin got that into the script. Because I can't imagine how else that would have been done. You think Dave Cyrus, uh, with all respect and love, and I'm so appreciative came on the show, <laughs> you think he's watching 70s SNL? Like, he talked a lot about watching uh, Smigel and all of the TV funhouses mm -hmm. on Hulu, but, like, 70s SNL and getting an Uncle Roy reference, and I feel like it just it's feels bad. like a really weird coincidence unless Pete's actual uncle is named Roy. You know what I mean? It's just, it's a weird... But this isn't an actual uncle. This is a friend of... Like, I don't think they're related. That was, that was the whole thing. I think so, that this is a friend well, of the grandfather. So the way I picked up on it, and maybe I'm wrong, is he was saying how he's not actually my uncle. That was eight years ago. She, I think it was, and I, I could get, get this wrong. Maybe it's not an actual uncle. I thought it was Pete's mom's sister's husband, and maybe the sister's past. So that okay. would be his uncle. That is kind of what I tracked it, because he said something like, oh, that was eight years ago, blah, 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 blah. So, or like, you know, so that that is what. Oh, so this I could be the third to. sister because we get to see the second yeah. sister having getting yeah. married, and maybe they're not two. together at the point okay. in the timeline yet. Um, yeah, the well, in that case, but that I, is I don't even know. weirder with the situation. What's going to happen <laughs> with the grandfather? Because okay, so right. basically, but I don't know. Um, yeah, this Uncle Roy um comes in and decides to join and pete's not so happy because he wanted this you know date with the grandfather and just to be out with them but uncle roy is coming too anyways they all go for drinks they're at this nice fancy place uh donna the prostitute shows up and right away grandpa joe clocks that she is as he says he calls her hooker um i don't know if that's a derogatory term or not but just see that he calls her <laughs> hooker um and uh he says you know of course i knew you know i was the wilt chamberlain of staten island sammy just if you didn't know that wilt chamberlain's a, a former basketball player uh slept with i a lot think of this was a great opportunity to just say he was the king of staten island a little wink wink to us pete fans of that classic film 
Yes, <laughs> yes, of course. But uh, yeah, Will Chamberlain, very well known for uh, sleeping around, but uh, and also being a great basketball player. But yeah, they're going to move on to getting the Sinatra suite here in Staten Island, which costed about $5,000 for the night. They all go upstairs together. So this is Pete, Uncle Roy, Grandpa Joe, and Donna, and they're all around uh, hanging out there. They're having a great time. Uh, Grandpa Joe's playing piano and singing this magic moment, which is a really nice thing. I mean, I didn't realize that joe pesci had such great chops on him to be able to sing like that was that was great yeah i'm trying to think if there's another movie or show that i've seen him really sing like that um you know i recently when i saw adam sandler found out that uh rob schneider has a good singing voice not something i necessarily clocked and i'm not sure how often he was able to do that on snl back in the day but you know a lot of these people are triple threats that's how they've you know become so successful in the business um i i did want to just shout out really quickly um i thought the mvp of this episode as much as i love joe pesci was brad garrett i thought everything he was doing in this episode was amazing like he had so many great lines and i felt like they were giving him kind of like dad jokes like you know like you know, making jokes about the Frank Sinatra suite and everything like that like oh Frank Sinatra better be here if, uh, if it's five thousand dollars like it was, uh, yeah, just really great to have him on the show. And obviously, you know, huge list of guest stars. So I'm excited to see if he pops back up. Yeah. Were you a big fan of Everybody Loves Raymond? Because I used to love that show. I thought it was really funny. <laughs> I wouldn't ever uh, be able to identify or classify myself as a huge fan. But it was definitely one of the shows where if it was on TV as like a, a kid, you know, I'm like that. That's one of the great shows. I'm like in, in my head as a child. I'm like that's one of the great comedies. You know, I'll you know I I don't mind if this is on versus if there was another sitcom that I you know didn't have that reverence towards. I'd maybe switch the channel. So uh, if everybody loves Raymond was on, I don't think I would switch the channel unless you know Jimmy Neutron was on or something. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I used to catch reruns of Everybody Loves Raymond. I think the the cast on Everybody Loves Raymond was so great, including you know Peter Boyle was just so fantastic on that show as well. Uh, yeah. Obviously Ray Romano, but then Brad Garrett was absolutely hilarious as Ray's brother on that show, Robert Barone, and just you know I'll know know him forever as that. But he's you know been in a ton of movies too, and he was really really great here, including when he decides to go ahead and hook up with Donna, the prostitute. So they go into the other bedroom room and joe and um and pete are just you know chilling and waiting around you know where's uncle roy he's in the bed with the woman and uh, all of a sudden roy just starts screaming in pain because his hip is is displaced so uh he cannot finish the job a lot of people having weird sexual situations in this episode but he can't finish <laughs> the job so there's this great scene and it all comes full circle because what's going to happen here is we're going to get a great speech, a great pep talk from Grandpa Joe to Pete saying, you know, if you really want to do something, you really want to be a good person and go ahead and do something, you have to help Uncle Roy here finish the job. So I'll try and describe this the best I can if you didn't watch this and are just listening to the recap for some reason. But basically... Uh, the positions that these two are in is Donna is on the bottom and Uncle Roy is on the top. And it's sort of like a top, maybe maybe not like a, it's not like a 12 o'clock, situ 6 o'clock situation. Maybe it's more of like a, a 2 o'clock, 6 o'clock situation. So there's a lot of sex ed on your end on this episode <laughs> that, you know, you're giving me, uh, what's the Paul Britton character's name? Uh, sex ed Vincent? Yeah, that's you. Yeah, that's what you're doing today, which is yeah, great. Yeah, uh, yeah. So Paul Britton, come from on the, the show from the um, side of the penis to the, the you know to the yeah whatever yeah. yeah yeah. So I think yeah. So like picture this. Basically, like Brad Garrett is at like a two o'clock, and um, and Donna is at like a six o'clock. So um, there, that's sort of like the angle at which this is happening. And because he can't really move, but he needs, he wants to finish the job, uh, Pete is going to come in at like three or four o'clock and basically move Brad in this like thrusting position. So he is being like an aide to like help. He's not like joining the party, but he's like getting a full on assist here where he is pushing uh, Uncle Roy back and forth to get this whole thing done. So uh, this is absolutely insane. So I'm going to say, Samuel, my first thought was uh, I thought I've seen like every funny sex joke on shows <laughs> before. I don't know how I've never seen this before. This was hilarious to me. 
yeah, this was like, you know, just just the the total assist from Pete here, just like absolutely helping his uncle Roy out. Just yeah, it's just a very funny visual. And I guess, you know, it kind of ties into the the theme if if we're gonna tie this um ridiculous sex act into the theme of the episode where, you know, at that earlier diner scene, you know, Grandpa Joe is kinda like, you know, you always focus on making yourself happy. Why don't you help someone else, you know, be happy? And this is uh, how else how what more could you do than uh to, to help someone else be happy than uh do something like this? And this sets up what I think is maybe the best line, at least from Brad Garrett in this episode, or the best line delivery, where like, you know, as Pete is rocking him back and forth, he kind of like gestures <laughs> gestures to Pete, turns to him, he's like, I can't believe I'm having sex with Pete Davidson, which is just like an <laughs> amazing, amazing line. And it's just kind of like um i don't know like just a great thing to kind of have in your first episode because that is like you know using that persona of his and like the larger than life image and like this is what this is what a day in the life might be with maybe a little more of a heightened reality uh of pete davidson so this was such a great dynamic that is so funny and the dialogue here is fantastic especially when grandpa joe says you're going to be doing him a mitzvah which is just it's so funny (laughs) yeah yeah and then at one point um like it, this is so funny in a dark way but then like brad garrett says like i feel like a make-a-wish kid and they keep talking about about how his his wife marla and they keep saying like oh like uh the the uh, donna is like oh marla would have loved this she would have been so happy to be a she be a part of this and uh it, it's so weird and so bizarre it's it's an amazing scene and and the you know just the the kicker on all this is that donna gives full consent right you know they say like are you okay with this and she says yes yes i'm okay with this so uh the whole act happens and then the final scene of episode number one is grandpa joe and pete come back home and they get you know they're about to eat some lasagna um amy davidson comes on in walks there and sees they're gonna eat a cold now i'm gonna warm it up for you we're gonna have this nice moment between uh you know pete and his mom and his grandfather all sitting around and they're like she's like so what did you guys do tonight and then there's an alluding to the first scene which is like this really awkward moment between pete and his mom and it's like all right pete what happened here and he's like all right well and then he explains the whole thing and like that's the ending of the episode which is like what happened in the beginning what happened in the end and it all comes together for this like crazy really well written episode of bup kiss so sammy what were your overall thoughts on episode number one yeah, I mean, you know, kind of like what, what I said at the beginning, you know, it's um, I, I'm not saying it's like what I expected, but this is like, you know, this is like why this is like what I wanted from the show. Episode two is more so maybe what I didn't think I wanted from the show or what I thought a show like this could do. But um, just like great introdu- introduction to the characters and to the tone and, you know, kind of excited to see how this builds because episode two kind of you know takes a bit of a a shift in tone so i'm excited to see what other sort of uh, shenanigans pete gets into with his uh grandpa and his mom for sure and i want to say shout out to dave cyrus on twitter and instagram he posted this video earlier in the day i don't know if you saw it sammy but it's the behind the scenes of the making of this scene with uncle roy where <laughs> the producers and dave and pete are all talking about what position to put everybody in and pete is suggesting that Donna be on all fours and that that would be funnier to have him basically behind them and uh you know like like uh if you're watching the video like a little bit of that going on and um so the you know just seeing the makings of this and then talking about it I think they were having an absolute blast and I know that these types of shenanigans all the guy stuff the guy talk that they're talking about isn't really for everybody but you know nobody was harmed in the makings of all of this stuff and I think they were just having fun between family and friends so for me this was this was a very fun episode this would be typical like sitcom work and I think this was great and it's sort of what I was expecting in episode two but wow what a major tone shift between episode one and two because we basically Basically open up on a flashback of late September 2001, where Amy Davidson is driving Pete and his sister Casey to a wedding. And they're, you know, a little bit late for the wedding and they're running on in. And basically they're driving on the bridge and you see the you know, still the smoke coming out of the the Twin Towers, where, you know, September 11th was was very recently, and and most people know that this is a real story that, you know, Pete's dad died at 9-11. And was uh by 
you know, most people would say that he was a hero. And, uh, you know, it was, there's all these crazy stories about things that, um, that happened that day and, and the horrific tragedy of it all. Uh, and, you know, this has basically shaped Pete's, you know, comedy in his entire life, but we're really going to dive right into this here where we go from, if you're watching episode one and two, for me, it's very jarring because then it's like, Oh, I'm expecting this is going to be a lot of fun, but it's this, it's very sad scene in the car where they're driving to the wedding and, um, they're discussing if, you know, between Pete and his mom, like, and Pete's like a young kid at this point, it has to be like, uh, I would assume like, 10 years old or something like that. Um, and he is talking with his mom about if they're going to actually tell the sister what happened to, to their father. And, uh, you know, Pete's wearing his father's necklace and he's saying like, is this okay? So it's a really like touching, sad moment that we get to start episode two. What were your thoughts when this came on the screen for you? Uh, you know, it's something, it was something that I should have thought, you know, or should have expected that at some point the series would touch on because, you know, th this kind of series is following a bit of the, you know, model or tone of something like Louie or, you know, a Atlanta or uh, Dave, where you kind of have like these, you know, episodes that maybe, you know, take a look at the, you know, the, the main character's past and, and everything like that. And especially because I just remember the first time that Pete ever brought up on Weekend Update that, you know, his dad died in 9-11. I was just like, whoa. Like, that's like, you know, you, you, I mean, you know, I personally don't know anybody that was affected like that. And the fact that it was somebody who ends up on SNL, it's just, it's a crazy sort of origin and tragedy. Um, but I was like, really just curious, you know, what are they going to mine from this? Or what is like a particular memory or um, that they're going to take away from the story? And I feel like they kind of subvert it a little bit because you're thinking, are they driving to the funeral? I know it's, you know, it's already like right. September 20th. It's like September 28th or something like that. So it's already, you know, two weeks or something after, um, you know, 9-11, which in the Jewish culture, you know, you, you got to get, you got to, you know, have a, a funeral really quickly. But I know, and you know, uh, that's not always the norm. But then it turns out to be a wedding, which was kind of surprising. And then you're kind of seeing him as a young kid dealing and, and his whole family kind of dealing with, you know, this tragedy. It's probably the first kind of major family event that's supposed to be a happy thing that's happening for them after this, you know, event and kind of seeing how they all deal with it. Exactly. And you see traditional or, or what you would expect, basically, uh, not traditional, but typical signs of what would happen to a child in this situation who just is feeling lost and not sure how to handle the situation, which is he's going to rebel a little bit. And, you know, during the uh, ceremony, which is, by the way, it's uh, Amy Davidson's sister is getting married. So we're getting to see uh, Grandpa Joe and then Jane Curtin, who plays uh, Joe's wife and Pete's grandmother, uh, Marie is there and they're walking down um, Pete's aunt down the aisle and we get to see the wedding and stuff like that. But during the wedding ceremony, uh, Pete is calling out, uh, you know, like uh, I think at one point the priest who's played by Steve Buscemi, we'll talk about that in a second, <laughs> um, says, you know, there is always joy, there is always light. And then Pete yells out not. And then later on, they're trying to take the photo and uh, he doesn't want to smile for the camera. And it's just like, Gosh, like to imagine like what it's like to be a kid and being there and supposed to be like this happy celebratory occasion, but the family is obviously devastated at the tragedy. Uh, it is a very, very tough situation and to watch this, uh, what I assume is through Pete's eyes and, you know, his way he wanted this story to be told is fascinating. Of course, it's, uh, you know, in addition to that, the extra layers on top of this are the, you know, the stunt casting that we get all the amazing guest stars that are here, which, like I said, Jane Curtin, original Saturday Night Live cast member, so amazing and incredible to think about somebody who started the show on the show in 1975 and was there till 1980 is in a scene with a cast member. And I guess it's just, I guess it's a kid. It's not really like Pete, but Pete is there like, right. somewhere involved with Pete who was on the show up until 2022. Like that to me, just the mix of like Pete Davidson and Jane Curtin being on the show together. I know they were both at SNL 40, but like that probably be the only time they crossed over with each other. Um, to me, Jane Curtin just being there was so cool. It's, it's amazing. And um, the, uh, obviously the part she's given the play, it's not, and the tone of the episode's not the most, um, you know, comedic part. There is like a really funny exchange later on in the episode between her and the young Pete. But yeah, when we found out about this um, was happening, and when I saw that in the list of guest stars, I was like, oh my god, this is this is just so cool. Obviously, Lauren Michaels and Broadway Video produced this show as well, 
So it, it was just it was just really great to see her. Um, and yeah, I mean, I guess we don't know because we haven't seen future episodes. But you know, I, I don't know if Jane had the opportunity to have a scene with Pete, depending on you know the story that she chooses to go with. If you know she's still alive or or, or if her character's still alive or whatever. But um, would be really cool if there's some sort of behind the scenes photo, which I'm sure there there has to be between Pete and Jane Curtin. I think uh, hopefully we get to see that. Yeah, for sure. And then what do you think about Steve Buscemi coming here to play Father Mac? Uh, I love Steve Buscemi. Um, obviously, going back to all the Adam Sandler movies and just, you know, uh, all, all the other things he has done. And he was obviously in King of Staten Island. And yeah, same thing. He, you know, he's kind of a presence throughout the ep- this episode, but he really has like kind of one scene where you're like, oh, this is why you get Steve Buscemi, where, um, you know, Pete is kind of acting out at the wedding and he, you know, he keeps ruining photos, as you said before. And, you know, you know, his, his mom is getting really frustrated with him. And so the, the priest kind of, you know, calls him over. He's like, I, I got this. And he was just going on this. I, I wish I had written down specific quotes, but had some amazing lines about how, you know, your dad died in nine 11 and 11 times three is 33. And you know, that that's the father, the son, the Holy spirit. And basically your dad is Jesus reincarnate. And it's just like, it just the the delivery, uh, you know, the, the, it's why you kind of get someone like Steve Buscemi to take something that, you know, could be, you know, n- not not the most hilarious thing in the world, but he um, just kind of milks it for everything he's got. And that was just such a great uh, little scene there. It was very good, very well done. And then, you know, there's really two main uh, acts to this particular episode. One is Amy Davidson here, Edie Falco's character, is, you know, dealing with her husband recently passing away, and we get to see her dynamics with everybody. So uh, people keep coming up to her to say their condolences and that they wish, you know, their their best for the family, including Marissa Janet Wanoker, who (laughs) I know from winning Celebrity Big Brother. Uh, So that was a fun little cameo. Um, But also the relationship between her and her mom, Jane Curtin here, where they're talking about, uh, you know, you never really liked Scott and, um, you know, this, this really sucked, but also, you know, he died on Jane Curtin's birthday. So (laughs) there was this whole thing where Pete ends up overhearing that his grandmother never really liked his father. And that is ironic that he died on her birthday. And, uh, you know, there's this really weird exchange between the grandmother and Pete, which I don't know how real this was about how, um, um, you know, like she says, you know, Pete, your birthday is going to be in two months. And he and he says, uh, well, I know what I'm going to wish for. And it's like this, this really angry kid is talking to his grandmother. And then this awkward moment where Jane Curtin makes the speech at the wedding. So this is all like a really interesting family dynamic that's that's on one side. And then there's this relationship between Pete and his uncle, which we'll get to in a moment. But anything there on any of the the Amy Davidson stuff? Uh, the, the only thing I'll add, and, you know, I alluded to like that scene before, but the kind of scene between, um, young Pete and Jane Curtin, I was getting such, and maybe it's just cause it's Jane Curtin. I was just getting such like kind of Jane Curtin weekend update vibes of like having a guest like Roseanne, Rosanna, Dana, and just like trying yes. to like understand, Disgusting. like, yeah, just kind of like be like disgusted and like, why is this happening and, and whatever. So um, you know, after almost 50 years, like just Jane Curtin still, still got it. She still got it. Yeah. Yeah. I could even like, I know it's been a while ago, but third rock from the sun. She's so fantastic in that show. Mm-hmm. Um, I love her. I, I think she's one of my favorite cast members of all time, honestly. So yeah. for me, uh, so exciting to have her there, but yeah, I mean the main crux of this episode and it's really a flashback flash forward situation where Pete, uh, is talking to his new uncle who marries his mom's sister. And this is, uh, uncle Tommy who's played by, uh, is it Bobby Cannavale? Is that how you pronounce it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, uh, he's obviously, he's been in so, so many things and, uh, you know, it's, it's, I find he's actually fantastic wherever I get to see him in any of these shows. So for, so for you, how did the casting work here from Bobby Cannavale? Oh, just like immediately I'm like, oh, this is like perfect casting. Like you really see it like in the flash forwards at like kind of putting him and Pete, uh, next to each other. It's like, oh yeah. Like they totally, look alike um you know i can totally buy this as as uh his his uncle which i'm not sure if this is the mom's brother or if he's marrying 
I think it's, he's marrying the mom. Okay. Sister. Okay. So yeah. th- then they shouldn't look alike anyways, but still it, it works. Um, and no, this was really, really great casting. Like he just very similar to Joe Pesci kind of just brings this sort of gravitas and, you know, it's just another example of, you know, and it's kind of said throughout um, earlier on in the episode when he's talking to who I assume is a cousin where it's like, oh, well now that you don't have a dad, like, you know, the, the uncles, you have five dads now. So this is just like one example of somebody who, you know, is kind of filling the void, the giant void left by um, Pete Davidson's father. And, you know, throughout the episode and the title of the, of the episode, he keeps saying like, you know, do as I say, not as I do, as you know, he's teaching Pete, you know, the right way to, you know, pee at a urinal, which my girlfriend, when we were watching this episode, asked, like, is that like, does that always happen? Like, boys start with their pants on the ground. And like, I, I don't know about you, John, but I, I feel like I definitely did that, like, growing up as You a kid. started with your pants. I don't, see, I don't remember ever starting with my pants on the ground. That's what I was going to say. I feel like I, always- I, I definitely did. Okay. Because, yeah, I come from a family that's very, like, don't get, like, try and not get things dirty so like i feel like it was <laughs> okay. always like don't let your pants like fall to the ground like type of thing like even like if you're like sitting on the toilet like be careful uh-huh. not to let your pants like fall to the ground especially like bus pants i see that perspective but i can also see and maybe why you're kind of taught or you're just you assume you have to do it this way to where you don't want to accidentally get pee on your pants which i feel like when you're younger maybe you know, it's it's just harder if you're trying to pop it, you know, through the the fly. But again, I don't I, I, I don't know. I don't know. But I feel like I definitely started that way. And, you know, to our, our listeners, if you did, too, like we can start like a support group. <laughs> but uh, and I don't remember when that switch changed. So who, ta- when who that, taught you? Yeah, <laughs> uh, definitely not my uncle. It was probably just like another kid, <laughs> you know, like a normal sort of like one kid was probably just like, what, what were you doing? Just don't don't do that, <laughs> which is similar right. to this scene. But um, yeah, see, because I think I think whoever invented the like, like the fly thing where you could just stick it through because not all not all pants have that, right? Like sometimes you just have to pull your pants down a little bit. But whoever invented that was a genius because it oh, saves, yeah. saves a lot of work. And obviously, you know, you could like, uh, you know, shake it out a little bit so that you don't uh-huh. you don't have to get the pee in your pants. But um, but <laughs> I think so anyways, yeah, that was the first main <laughs> scene. And then we get this this moment basically where Pete sees his uncle's um penis and just uh there's uh, obviously it's a fake one in the show but i'm saying like he just like has this like wide-eyed look of like whoa and then learns about uh you know this trick to pee through his pants that way and he keeps doing that for the rest of the night so already like really influenced by his uncle and then at one point his uncle invites pete with his i guess his friend to end up you know going to pick up um some uh drinks which i i guess there's not an open bar situation happening here they're going to some like you know, convenience store. And or, or were we they get, getting uh, cigarettes? Oh, they're getting cigarettes, like, right? You're right. Yeah. No, yeah. you're right. Yeah, that's what it was. Anyways, a lot of cocaine action happening here because we get to see Pete <laughs> watching his uncle do coke and his uncle's friend do coke. And then it's a lot of do as I say, not as I do. And yeah, that's pretty much the theme of all this. And then there is this very weird moment where i'm not sure if i full this is my only thing. And I, I guess it was like a nice moment, but I'm not sure that I fully got what they were going for here where Uncle Tommy is singing this song by Creed in the car, My Sacrifice, where he's just like uh-huh. singing it loud in Pete's face. But it goes like on a long time here. Did you get what they were going for? Um, I think I just got that clearly. And we see this in the flash forwards that um, un- Uncle Tommy is just having having some issues. Obviously, he's, you know, doing cocaine at his wedding and is, you know, just clearly just, you know, even though. And I feel like there's like some hints to that in the conversation in the car with his friend where it's like, you know, like she's great. You got to lock it down, you know, like between, you know, you and um, I'm not remembering what his wife's name is. But yeah, I think he's just clearly going through some he's going through some sort of, um, I guess, at this point, not midlife crisis, but eventually leads to a midlife crisis later in the car scene, um, you know, later on in the flash forwards of the episode where I I just feel like he's. You know, kind of ties back to the do as I say, not as I do, where, you know, I feel like Tommy knows like what he should and shouldn't be doing. And he's trying to, you know, teach the young Pete like through his words, not what what not to do. Um, But in reality, he's, you know, doing drugs and he's, you know, just uh, 
doesn't have all his stuff together. But I, I do want to uh, shout out this one line uh, from the guy in the car, which is such like an offhanded line that maybe because I'm like a movie buff, I thought was hilarious. But the line about A Beautiful Mind where he's like, you know, that's a movie that came out in 2001. So it's like, uh, you see that movie? He's like trying to make conversation with the young Pete while um, Bobby Cannavale is like out of the car. It's like, oh, you see that movie, A Beautiful Mind? Like, oh, Russell Crowe, he can do anything. He's like talking to like a seven-year-old kid if he saw A Beautiful <laughs> Mind. I just thought that was, you know, two weeks after his dad like died in 9-11. I just thought that was so funny. But yeah. <laughs> yeah, um, absolutely. So yeah, I, I guess I get that because he's really just, it's it's trying to show that his uncle is, you know, having this crisis and not sure if he wants to get married. And then he's, you know, wants to be free doing drugs, you know, drinking, smoking, all this stuff. So it's like a little bit of an influence on Pete, where, you know, where in his future life and how he's going to be. So uh, I do get that aspect, but I, I just feel like it went on a little bit long. Um, but for me, there was one scene here that was insanely relatable because uh, I DJ for weddings now. Even. I knew so, I knew this would be <laughs> a scene that resonated with you. Yeah, so the DJ is playing the songs and like some kid comes up to him, in this case Pete Davidson, and says like, can you play Cotton Eye Joe? And, uh, you know, the thing is, is like when you're DJing these events, you know, you're getting like a flow going, right? Like it's sort of like, like picture Uncle Roy with the thrusting, like you're getting something going, right? So you're like... Uh-huh. <laughs> Don't want I was anybody picturing the other. I was picturing the other Uncle Roy for a no, second. No, no, no. The one from, from the one from this show. Uh, and basically, like that—that's the analogy I can make, which is like you're getting you're getting your groove on, you're going, and like there's something working here. You're getting the dance floor; it's populating. And then some kid comes in and throws something into uh, the mix and says, "Can you play this?" And all of a sudden, your hip is displaced because the whole dance floor breaks <laughs> apart when you're trying to play. Uh, and you this need track Uncle here. Tommy to come in and you know rock yes. you into place. Thank you. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. That is my experience here uh, at many events where uh, I just completely get thrown off by somebody asking for music. And again, like I'm not playing for myself. I'm playing for the crowd. I want everybody to have a good time. But based on my professional experience, I tend to know like, okay, the, the dancer is going this way. I'm there to read the crowd and whatever it is. So it is so, so difficult when something else gets thrown in the mix. However, Uncle Tommy comes in and basically yells at the DJ, throws off his headphones. I've, I've had some very interesting experiences with guests and clients and all that stuff. Fortunately, no one's ever physically taken headphones off my head and thrown them down. Um, That's good. <laughs> but yeah, Cotton Eye Joe ends up playing. And I will say, personally, uh, Cotton Eye Joe is, uh, is a jam. Like, it's always you know pretty fun whenever you're going to do animation songs like that. So I'll usually do uh, some back-to-back with a little you know, cha- bit of... Cha-cha uh, slide. Touch a slide, hey baby, uh, Cotton Eye Joe, like all mm. that stuff. Um, yeah. They're usually a good, a good mix to go in together. But it's it depends like what type of crowd you end up having. And in this case, everybody was uh, doing the Cotton Eye Joe and having a good time. Also, very tiring dance. I don't know if you have ever done Cotton Eye Joe, but it is uh, oh. heel heel toe toe heel toe do the Cotton Eye Joe crazy. I I went to the bar mitzvahs in the late two thousands. Of course, I've I've done the Cotton Eye Joe many a time. Uh, what's I was going to ask you, and we can go back to the episode. What is the Gen Z version of Cotton Eye Joe? Like, what are what are kids today asking over and over again? It doesn't have to be a line dance, but like, what's like that kind of meme sort of song that people are like, play this? Well, I think it's now it's like a lot of TikTok dances. So I right. think that would that be the modern version of that. Before that, it was like a lot of like hip hop music video. Uh, before that, I would say um, there was like some Hannah Montana in there um, with the hoedown throwdown. So like mm. that was something that was pretty big uh, once I first started DJing. And then before that, yeah, like a lot of these, uh, I like to call them animations. I feel like that's like okay. where you could basically get on the microphone and guide everybody. There's like... Um, there's like a Jackson five one that we do sometimes too. Uh, so there are, there are some like good ones to really get a crowd going and cotton eye Joe is certainly on that list. So I could see why I, it I feel it. like I was definitely an annoying kid when it came to song like requests. And I feel like there is a non zero percent chance that when I was on the bar mitzvah circuit that I tried to request a lonely Island song at a bar mitzvah. And I feel like there's no chance that request was ever granted. Yeah. <laughs> well, we, we have played Lonely Island, I'll say that, at events myself. So that is not uh, too bad for your DJ, but we have done that for sure uh, a bunch of times. And it d- depends which one or what type of event, maybe more for weddings, like we'll play stuff like that, okay. not necessarily for bar mitzvahs. Like, yeah, I've played, I, I played I Just Had Sex uh, a few times at weddings before because people oh, yeah. for it. Um, so I think at my wedding, we're definitely going to have to play some Lonely Island. I feel like <laughs> um, yeah. 
but yeah, hundred percent. And you know, like this is all in good fun here. And this is like the one time where I think like Pete is having just like a really good time dancing with everybody. And we do get a flash forward to the future where Pete and his uncle are together. And he's talking about like, maybe it's not working out in this relationship where, uh, you know, the mar- we saw the marriage and now flash forward, they're potentially going to get a divorce and him and his aunt are not good in, a- in a good place. They end up going and driving Pete's car and we get uh, uncle Tommy basically almost getting them into a real traffic altercation here he wants to he's thinking about driving off a bridge like it gets a little bit scary here like i think pete is is legitimately scared and uh ultimately drops off uncle tommy you know said he's feeling old and all that stuff and i think pete uh, has this really poignant moment where he's talking to his uncle saying and this is you know something interesting because we've seen pete grow up on snl which is like pete's uncle is 50 or whatever it is and and still hasn't figured it out and pete says you know like when I was 21, I thought I'd figure it out by 24 and then 24, you know, 27 and 27, 33. Like, it's like, it's like you, you always think you're going to figure it out and maybe you just don't. And I thought that was like probably the most beautiful moment of the episode. Uh, just that talk that they had at the end. Yeah, no, certainly it was, uh, reminded me of, I, I guess it was the first time we thought Pete was signing off of update and saying like, you know, thank you guys for letting me like grow up in front of you guys. And you know, that's like kind of a similar thing to where he's, you know, we've seen him grow up, grow up, and we see him still, you know, be in like the tabloids or whatever, um, and kind of, you know, getting into, you know, certain things. But, you know, I guess that's kind of um, all part of life. Um, and I, I, I do think, uh, um, even though like this was a, certainly intense, you know, this whole car scene, um, you know, there's a point where his uncle has him like unbuckle. He's like, come on, just un- un- unbuckle. Like, <laughs> you know, that that was like insane. Um, but I, I just loved how there's like this kind of undertone of like, clearly like his uncle like voted for Trump or is like a big MAGA guy. He's like, like before you even see the truck, he's they're, they're like walking up there. It's like, I thought I thought he weren't a Trump guy. <laughs> and it's just like a big pickup truck. Um, so I, I thought that was a, a good, good little dig there. Yeah, I agree. And really, this episode sort of wraps up on this flashback where we actually get to see, uh, you know, this is all uh, the the fictionalized version, but having fictionalized Amy meet Scott, Pete's father at a bar and then watching TV with Pete. And, you know, we do hear at some point that they're thinking about having other children before 9-11. So it's like this really just like, um, you know, beautiful, but also sad moment of seeing the family all together before 9-11. And then to me, like the uh, cherry on top of what I think is just a really fantastic episode of television is the episode ends on real pictures of Pete at this wedding and the family all in. You see Amy, you see Casey, like the real life versions of all of them at this wedding back in the day. And it is just like uh, heartbreaking, but also super touching. And I don't know about you, Sammy, but like, I think, you know, what they did in episode one was really like, it was really funny. It was something you would see on sitcoms typically. And it was like, yeah, at moments I'm like, oh, this is kind of smart or whatever. But it was episode two for me that cemented like, oh, this is a really good show, which is not just comedy, but it's mixed in with this like layer of like, oh, there's like a real guy in here who has like, really struggled. And now that he's able to like project his consciousness into this piece of art is actually layered in this is not just a stupid show, but actually something interesting and worth watching. Do you feel the same way? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's... um you know, it, it, it just, it, it just, it makes sense that he'd want to kind of, you know, pay tribute to his dad in, you know, some sort of way, like on the show. I think it's really cool that, you know, they kind of, you know, did that right off the bat in like episode two. Um, and I, now that we've kind of gotten the sample size of episode one, very much straight up comedy episode two, you know, a lot more elements of drama. I'm I'm really curious as we progress to these next six episodes, kind of what the balance is, if, you know, it's kind of going to be, you know, a very funny episode and kind of a more serious episode and, you know, back and forth. Because obviously Pete's talked a lot about his challenges with like, you know, mental health issues and things like that. So I would not be surprised if he tries to touch on that, um, you know, in other episodes. But I'm excited to see what, what else we, we, we have in store. 
Absolutely. So episode number three is titled Picture. Episode number four is titled Crispy Town. Sammy and I, like I said, have not watched it yet. So we're going to get to watch that over the next couple of days and then be back here on Saturday to talk about episodes three and four. I'm really looking forward to seeing what those episodes entail. That should be a lot of fun as we progress. And if you enjoy the show or you have any feedback or comments on what we said here today about episodes one and two, let us know in the comments. This is always a really fun interactive experience to watch these shows together and get to talk about them. So congratulations to everybody who worked on these first two episodes. It is a really fun uh, show to get to watch and get to cover and looking forward to the rest. All right. So this was a great time hanging out with you, Sammy. We got yeah. to talk all about the SNL news happening in the world and the first two episodes of Bupkiss. Any final thoughts and what's up with you? Where can the listeners check out everything you got going on? I mean, all week this week, you guys will be able to see me all over the SNN doing this Bupkis coverage. And obviously, you know, we just had a chance to interview uh, Dave Cyrus. So definitely, um, if you have not gotten the chance, you know, that's a, like I said, on my Twitter, nice little appetizer for the, the Bupkis. Um, it could also be a little dessert if you want to watch all of Bupkis and then watch our interview to kind of get some more context for some of the stories that he, he's, he's talking about. Um, we also just did um, a super fan takeover, uh, which was a lot of fun. Um, you know, our favorite, yeah, favorite, you know, cast member hosted moments of all time. Obviously, there's, you know, there are a lot to choose from. So I hope you guys, you know, um, you know, let us know, uh, you know, what you thought of that and, um, you know, what are some of your favorite moments. And then you guys can check me out on social media at that Sammy K on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. We'll see you guys uh, soon for some more coverage. Absolutely. So plan is, like I said, Saturday, three and four, Monday, five and six, and then Wednesday, seven and eight. If SNL is not coming back, which, you know, most likely it's not, we're going to do our wrap up coverage the following week where we're going to have our final postseason roundtable. And then after that, we'll do eventually our by the numbers final show for the season and then our final patron feedback show where we'll have our patrons call in as well. So lots of coverage still to come here. And then eventually we'll head over to some summer coverage throughout while we wait for for season 49 of Saturday Night Live. So if you want to check out everything that's going on over here, follow us on social media at the SNL Network, Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, and Instagram. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. All right, for Sammy K and myself, John Schneider, from the Saturday Night Network, we will see you next time, everybody. Have a good one.